Hi, welcome to this very special series of Grazy Her's Life in the Land, where we deep dive into the lives, passions and projects of each of the seven national finalists of the 2023 AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. For the last 21 years, the AgriFutures Rural Women's Award has empowered and celebrated the leadership of women involved in Australia's rural and emerging industries, businesses and communities. Equipped with a $15,000 Westpac grant, each of the state and territory winners are in the running for the national winner and runner-up to be announced in September, awarded an additional $20,000 and $15,000 Westpac grant respectively. My name is M. Herbert, your host for this series. Australian mental health support organisation Beyond Blue says one in five Australians have taken time off work for anxiety, depression and mental health challenges, while an astonishing 46% consider their workplace to be mentally unhealthy. These are stats that horrify Melissa Dunham, the Tasmanian winner of the 2023 AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. Melissa is a dairy farmer, business consultant and an equine-assisted learning facilitator, helping companies and their employees communicate better whilst learning to work alongside horses through her business, Leading Rain. It's a passion that Melissa never knew could be a career and was sparked by a transformative crossroads moment in 2016 after suffering a devastating farm accident. The sequence of events probably come with the milk price announcement a few months prior. So it was the crash in the milk price. Uh, We had a skeleton crew on board. We were still growing and um, evolving other teams on other farms. So we had more than one farm. We were at the home farm at that particular point. Uh, I was trying to figure out how I was going to do all the tasks for the day. So I made the decision to rush off and go and feed a mob of calves that were weaned the night before. So I was going to feed grain, make sure and check that they were all okay before I put the kids on the school bus. And in the process of driving up to this particular paddock, which was just on the highway, I had a text message from one of our casual staff quitting, um, saying that she was no longer turning up. So I had that in my head as well. Um, I was matron of honour the next day in a wedding, wondering how I was going to feed calves, do the matron of honour process, organise the kids. So my brain literally wasn't there, present at that point. But I remember driving into the paddock and I had a bit of a giggle at the calves because they were all frantic looking for the milk machine and it was on a steep decline. And in the process of looking, uh, I came back and realised that I wasn't in four-wheel drive and we'd had quite a bit of rain and long grass. It was late October. And in that process, I was heading down an embankment and I wasn't in four-wheel drive. There was a bit of a hydraulic lock in my side-by-side buggy. So when you took your foot off the accelerator, it would do a bit of a slide. And I was really mindful of that um, because that was a hazard in itself. Plus, I had a full spray unit of um, chemical on the back from thistle spray. So I had all that weight pushing me forward. So I had to make the decision in that moment, this is not going to be good, whichever way this this turns. We either head down the embankment, which I can guarantee I would not survive, or I flip, I roll. And in that moment, like I literally thought in seconds, and it's rolled itself. So I was trapped. My right leg was underneath the roll cage of the buggy, um, the full weight, obviously, of the chemical, the vehicle itself. I had 70 bellowing calves around me that were 
starving, if you ask them. The saving grace was no one knew where I was because I hadn't let anybody know that I was going to go and feed these calves early before the school bus run. But my phone was in the side cup holder. And the luck in that was that as it's flipped, it's rolled and it's landed in front of me. So if that hadn't have happened, you couldn't see me from the road. You couldn't see me from anywhere. Um, If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been able to make the phone call. So, yeah. That was that was pretty full on. I would hate to have been my husband on the receiving end of that, listening to your wife screaming, get it off me and have no idea what or where or what was going on. And uh, he managed to find me and obviously I was stuck and crushed. But um, he, I don't know, adrenaline, I guess, get something off you in that moment. Yeah. We managed to get one leg out, but the other leg wouldn't move. So he had to call for help. We had another farm down the road. Uh, The guy was heading to our property. Richard said to him, can you bring the tractor, please? We need to get Melissa out. Basically, long and short of it, it was a three-hour process before I was in the ambulance. So it was a long time to be trapped with all of those calves and all of the action. But by this stage, people from the highway were seeing the activity, so they were actually stopping. It was, yeah, it was just a really weird and surreal process of of just unorganized chaos and Mm. stress and I'd never broken anything in my life and uh, it was actually Richard's dad my husband's dad uh, was on the fire brigade and he (laughs) they couldn't access me so they had to bring a four-wheel drive down and put me on the caddy to get me out once they'd got the vehicle off me and it was Richard's dad that drove me out so that was just weird in itself it's like in all my years I didn't think that I'd be carting my son's wife off with a caddy so yeah and it it just was unfortunate it was life-changing which at the time I'd just probably roll my eyes and go it is what it is because that's what I was used to hearing Mm. but I didn't realize the succession of ongoing sagas that it would be for me uh, and a turning point really in my life that would change me from the physical roles that I was used to, Mm. to questioning who I was and and what it was that I could do from here on in. And not to mention the ongoing complications and the surgeries and and they've literally successively ran up until this year. Mm. Six years later. Six years later. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how a crossroads, a life crossroads can look like so many things. And obviously when you're in the thick of um, a trauma like that where you, you nearly lost your leg and it was such a terrible compound fracture, and so then you you were pretty laid up for, for nearly two years after that. How was that as an experience for you having come from such a physical role on your properties working in the dairy industry to then being laid up and, and unable to do anything? It was pretty humiliating, actually, if I kind of thought of it, because I didn't know what else for it to be. I was vulnerable. I was in this state. I didn't have an answer out the other side of, you know, like, is this leg staying or is this leg going? What am I doing in the process financially, too, at that point in time with the milk price? Like, I had guilt and shame that I had created this situation. And I look back on that now and just think, it was just such a childlike state for me. I was being that that vulnerability, I guess. Yeah, interesting to see the progress looking back on that as it was from this eagle eye observing now mm. versus in that moment. It was really, it was really a dark space to be, which 
at the time, I kept thinking, I just don't have an answer. There's never an answer. Wherever I'm looking, it just doesn't seem to be one. So, yeah, mentally it was probably the hardest part of my life so far. You did suffer from post-traumatic stress following the accident. Having come from a farming and very agricultural background, did you know what that was and what that looked like? No, I didn't. And I, again, I felt a lot of shame once it was identified or pointed out to me. For me, mine came in extremely vivid dreams of losing family members that would impact and affect me for three or four days consistently. Uh, They were just so real to me. And it got to a point where I just said, enough's enough. I've actually got to go and talk to somebody about this and figure out what, what is going on. And when I saw my doctor, she just said, you poor darling girl, that is post-traumatic stress. And I was shocked because I was not expecting it. It's, And again, went into that, oh, no, no, it's not. It's I only had an accident, you know, like it's not, that's something that war veterans get, that people with extreme cases of trauma, just not owning up or shaping up to the impact that I was still sitting through. And I feel a lot of that comes from, what you're being modelled, basically, mm. you just, you, you have no choice. Life is, you get on with it, you do it, it's the hard yard. So, again, I didn't want to feel uh, that I was probably a bother or that it was uh, shameful to think that I actually was suffering from this trauma. But as I've matured, I'm realising I was very immature then. I've never broken a bone in my body. Um, I mean, it was only six, seven years ago, so it's really not that long ago. But to kind of see and identify and play it back out, reflecting on it, I realised that I was quite immature through that process of experiences and now, again, different person looking back on it. Yeah. Well, what was that experience? You know, the first time you worked in, walked into a psychologist's um, office for your appointment? I really I laugh about it now, but at the time I was that typical farmer, right, I don't need you to tell me that I've got PTSD or you can tell me I've got bipolar or that I have depression or any of these things. That doesn't matter to me. I need tools and I need strategies because I need to move from this. Yeah, how do you fix me? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah, just give me the solution. Um, Whereas it was a process of unraveling Pandora's box that I would never have considered because I'd lived in that state, I guess, of just push on, just go on, let's not live in this process uh so yes a huge unraveling leading up to this you'd been in the dairy industry for 20 odd years you and your husband what had your businesses looked like and and what had the process of building those looked like so I was 21 I think when I met my husband I was with an 18 month old child to a previous relationship so we were a package deal stepping in and Originally, we weren't taking on the farm, the home farm, so we're third generation to his family. We weren't necessarily stepping into that role straight up, but Richard's mum developed MS, and so their life changed as well and plans needed to be put in place. So we decided to purchase in a lot earlier than we anticipated. And so from that, I would have been uh, 23 or 24 years old and not much life skills or experience really um, into this position where we have taken on a partnership of a, a business and understanding the admin role and understanding the process of farming. I've 
family around farming, but I've never physically farmed myself before, let alone understood business. Um, I was a hairdresser from the town next door. And this whole thing was just so overwhelming for me. And having said that, again, in reflection, looking now, uh, I feel like I was somebody with neurodivergent tendencies in the wrong era Mm -hmm. and was not aware because, again, it wasn't something that was spoken about. So I had no idea why I was finding all of these certain particular things so challenging. But being tenacious uh, and not giving up, I was somebody that would push through it. Having said that, I would push through it by getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning when the house was quiet to try and focus and hone in in silence, work out what it was that I was doing in cash flow manager back then, (laughs) um, which reverted into zero accounting or even paying the wages, understanding how that process worked because we didn't have the support networks that we have now um, available. And even if we did, we didn't have time because we were literally in the thick of growing a business as young people and that was a constant state of growth that we were sitting in. So there was never a pause moment to kind of regroup and uh, work out what we could do. So there was a long time of that isolation in that space. Um, God, I didn't have Steph, Steph Trithui's motherland available for me. So there was a bit of postnatal depression I identify now as well, um, sitting in that office bawling. Mm. And just feeling like I don't, I just don't have my tribe. Yeah. As we kind of went on, I realized that in today's world, you you hear the language of the burnout and the neurodiverse. And I just think what a challenging space to sit in. But also I'm so, so grateful that my three girls will not go through that alone like I did. Oh God, it just sounds like it was such a um a baptism by fire for you walking into that that it- experience and you continued to grow in that you and your husband um, purchased more farms and, and were always building throughout those two decades for you what were some of the greatest challenges when it came to leadership and leading the teams that you suddenly found yourself at, at the forefront of so be, uh, the same with everything that we did it was kind of the wing it model where we didn't come in with the skill set as such. We were very practical and hands-on in the roles. So it was secondary to the space of developing those people. And it wasn't something that was spoken about. You just had team. You just had people come in and help you. So with that comes the personality issues uh, and the conflict and not really understanding how to deal with that. But I was a communicator. I would always openly have those conversations. But in the process too, I had my outlet of the horses. So they were my saving grace. And through the process, I kind of identified that how I was interacting with the horses was very similar to how I was interacting with in business with people, just having the conversations or how I was raising my kids. Everything that I did was clear. It was kind and it was concise. And yeah, I kind of realized that how you're working with horses to build relationships was the same with how I was working with our teams to build relationships. But at that point, I hadn't kind of put the two dots together. Yeah, well, absolutely. Why would you? Because this was just something that you obviously had a natural talent for. Did you think at the time when you had team members coming to you with their problems and you were able to communicate with them and sit down and talk it through, that that was a skill and a talent that was probably transferable to another career or a job? 
Not at all. Not at all. Um, and I look at it now and it, it's only just taken recently for me to identify. Not everybody has those strengths. Mm. Just the same as I realized in the office that numbers or the maths was not my strength. You, you don't have it all together in whatever you're doing. And that's only just now that I've realized that the communication side and those conversations and relationships, they matter mm. for you to hold your team together. Oh, totally. And it's also that one is not better than the other in terms of a thriving business, the hard skills versus the soft skills. They're both equally as critical as each other. So jumping forward, 2016, you had your accident, you're off your leg for two years. Like what was the kind of the process around you evaluating your life and where you were going and and questioning who you were? So obviously I'd had the thoughts while I was laid up and it had been suggested to me, um, Melissa, you should be looking at doing equine assisted learning. And at the time I was like, I've got no idea what that is. I don't have any time or space or physical ability to be doing anything else. I didn't want to do it on the farm as well when you look at the risk factors of, of people on site. So it kind of just got parked up and didn't really think too much about it. But um, last year I got to a point, we were still on the home farm, where I realised that our business had grown to this epic proportion and we just employed some workshop managers to the workshop at the home farm. And if I can give you insight into how that looks, we have the house and literally 30 feet away is the workshop and literally about 20 meters, uh, 20 feet away from that is the dairy. So we could throw a stone at the dairy and at the workshop from our house. It was all condensed together. And I remember feeding cattle, coming home thinking, oh, I'd like to get on my laptop and just catch up on some of the emails that I had there. I took a coffee outside and realized when I walked outside, there were seven people in our home yard. There were eight dogs, two of them were ours. It just got to a point where I just can't do this chaos anymore. Yeah. And my husband and I had recently uh, purchased a rundown equestrian centre. It wasn't for the equestrian centre. It came with 80 acres and it had an old house that was being rented out. And I just made that decision. I come up and started cleaning this equestrian centre up after the previous lessons had been in there and thought, this is peaceful. This is quiet. This makes me feel like I have got space to think. And I'm going to make the decision to move my family up to this 100 plus year old house <laughs> away from that chaos into the silence and uh, see what we can do here. How far was the new property from the home farm? It's only a seven minute drive, so it's oh. not far at all. And what was, this, what was the facility on the property in terms of the equestrian? It's a massive big indoor, so Olympic size indoor with I think there's 26 six metre by five metre stables all surrounding the indoor. Once upon a time, it would have been state of the art, but previous were goat farmers milking goats in there that were housed permanently. So there was an absolute mess to wow. deal with. Yeah. But my God, what a dream. Like I'm just salivating at the thought of this indoor. <laughs> Anybody would. Anybody would. And it feels it feels a little bit clinical, but the more time that I've spent there, I can feel the change in the place as well. I think everything just needs a bit of love and nurturing. Mm. And um, my horses seem to really enjoy having oh. that space as well. How could they not? So you purchase this old property, you're cleaning it up, this little seed of an idea, because you'd read a book, hadn't you, about a quest, um, equine assisted learning when you had been laid up. So th 
that was several years prior though. So this little seed of an idea was kind of germinating in the back of your mind. When did you decide to take the leap and do your training? Yeah, it took a few weeks of the cleanup stage because I had a lot of resentment around the place because of I knew what it was previously to what the goat farmers had done. And so I'd kind of just done this shutdown, don't want to know about it. But the more cleaning that I'd done there, uh, yeah, it took a few weeks. And um, I'd made the decision pretty much well when I said that we're going to shift here to look at equine-assisted learning and the different um, courses available, made a selection to one that aligned to my values, booked in, and it was just luck that it started the following week. And so I literally leapt into that one as well. And, yeah, the, the idea was kind of birthing at a rate of knots, plus so was the idea suggested to me that everything that I was doing was aligning to the AgriFutures Award. Mm. So I had a look at the criteria and that was that was the same week as well. So literally in the first application, it was an idea of a notion that kind of moved through and it's just it's literally hit the ground running since then. Talk about the universal lining. It's really interesting, isn't it, how serendipitous things can become once they it all makes sense. It all kind of clicks into gear. So tell me, what is equine assisted learning for the layman? So it, for the layman, it is equine-assisted learning means that we can learn skills and tools uh, alongside horses. The difference is there are many different modalities of the, there can be therapy versions, there can be the learning versions. Uh, there's a lot of psychotherapy support out there, which obviously you need uh, psychotherapy training, which is not my realm. The learning avenue that I've taken There's also so many different components of niches that are available. There's some people that specialise in autism. There's some people that specialise in veterans. There's people that have a passion that kind of bring it to purpose. And I guess that's where that integration of my skill set with the communication and relationship and the business side of things, along with the horses and the learnings that I've learned about leadership through the horses for myself, that's my integration. So I, my point of difference is a little bit different to other ones that I'm seeing out there. There's a lot of people that are offering the learning alongside NDIS programs and mine is all purposeful, profit for purpose. I'm not kind of taking an avenue where I'm working for a government sector and this is all just solely my trade. Yeah, and this is um, all really you're kind of you're almost a business coach or a, a corporate kind of facilitator, but using horses to learn those skills. Correct. Yeah. And what um, prior to this, I mean, what had horses been to you? They'd been a saving grace, but had you had they always been a passion? They had. I had a huge big uh, break in between my teenage years through to to early adult on the farm, so. I used to spend most of my younger high school years, primary school years at my auntie and uncle's farm and that's where they had the horses and it was actually my pop's last bred horse there. Previous to that, I'd been watching pop as a really small child work with these horses. Like he started at 40 years old too, Mm -hmm. which is ironic. Um, And he just, I just remember watching him in the round yard and just thinking, what is he doing? Because he's not forcing anything here, but he's having this conversation, but he's not talking. What is it? So the curiosity really sparked, but I could also see the respect and that relationship happening through it, even at such a young age. 
And so I do see a lot of pop come through in me, even when I was a teen on my auntie's farm through to now, just seeing there's a, it's a point of difference. It's not standard. I'm not out there training for competition or anything like that. I'm actually just genuinely building this relationship and creating a safe space for the horse to be the horse um, and show me what it is that it needs. Mm, that's beautiful and very circular. Like it's that kind of um, kind of come back to your roots. It's almost in your DNA uh, from your grandfather's legacy. And so, jumping forward, you graduated in 2022 from your equine assisted learning, and pretty much straight away flung open the gates to your business. So, tell me about some of the the pilot programs that you then ran. So I did, as soon as I did the training, I thought the only way to implement this is to execute this. There's no good sitting around and and thinking further. I've just spent six years thinking on this. So I put a call out on my social media and and with my connections and networks as well and said, this is what I'm offering. This is what I'm seeking. I need groups of people to come together. Let me see how it works, how I can additionally add my component into this and get an understanding and familiarity with the format of the process. And so we range from women's groups, professional women's groups coming together to professional women that I had in my networks coming as individuals as a team. We managed to um, connect with a local organisation called National Job Link. Sorry, I was called an organisation there. I went from the start to the finish of how the process looks from the induction to the paperwork to all the professional ticks, insurance, indemnity, all of that stuff. Bring me six to eight of your disengaged young adults who are looking to get themselves ready and back into the workforce because I'd love to see how this works for them. I can guarantee that there'll be a great outcome, but I'd just like to see it work. So let's do a six-week program. So these guys were travelled out on a vehicle from National Job Link supplied the vehicle, brought the girls out for a six-week period. National Job Link uh, are Australia-wide and they are very risk-averse because they're not-for-profit organisations, so there's a lot of government requirements. Hmm. So part of the process was that they had to do a pretty hefty audit process on the offering which I was very confident with my own business skills and with the resources that are given to us. We put together the indemnities and all of the safety risk assessments that were required and they brought out three of their higher powers to come and sit in on the first session with these six women. And it should have been intimidating, but I trusted the process because that's what's been put together for us. And I think it was within in in the hour of them watching how we go through the safety format. Now, keeping in mind, these people have never been around horses before. There's no riding. It's all ground-based activities based on developing their personal skills and strengths. And, yeah, within the hour, they kind of just come to the side and said, we can leave now. You've got it covered. We can go back into our mainland office and just say everything is as it should be. So that was a really big tick for me to get through that. Mm. But not only that, the process with these women to watch the changes each week in these women and hearing from their supervisors and support role officers saying we can't barely get them to attend anything on site, whether it's where we're skill development programs or whatever, sitting in the classroom in a seat we just can't get them to commit. 
but they're actually saying to us, can we go further than the six weeks with this program? Like the, the minute that you put an animal and put them into an environment that doesn't feel like that it's school or dictated to, mm. it's experiential as well. So the growth in these women uh, and watching their voice return and see their own value and power and purpose was just yeah really powerful for me to, to be part of. Mm, I've got goosebumps. It's just that empowerment perspective that probably is so lacking in in a schoolroom or an academic, a, a traditionally academic setting. So how does it work practically? You spoke briefly about it. You do your safety, but how many horses do you have? How does everybody work with them? What does it look like practically? So it depends what form of workshop you come into. I offer single sessions, which go for an hour and a half, or I'll do half-day, full-day workshops, weekend retreat, whatever it is that, that people are looking for, I can cater to. But every single one of them have the same form of delivery, which is making sure that we keep everybody safe, that I just run out to the arena and there you go, free-range horses. But <laughs> we sit down together in a theory completely and we sit there and we do talk about the safety segment that that happens and the induction process, giving them then some tools uh, and a process we head out into the arena. So a session with, we'll traditionally have six to eight people on the arena in the group setting and we'll head out with two horses with this. So we'll, depending on what, issues or challenges or what the objective is of the particular class or series or whether they come for a six week or that's just a one-off depending on what the objectives and the topics are we always find a way to metaphorically relate it back into their everyday life and parallel and so some of the challenges obviously can be building relationships or communication or conflict conversations We'll head out and we'll spend a bit of time in the arena with the horses doing some activities. We'll have um, some props set up and challenges. And as a group, they need to perform these. But I'm there as a facilitator. I'm not there to create an outcome for them because it's experiential. They'll be guided by the horse. There'll be feedback given by the horse. And when I say that, when you think about it, humans can influence outcomes or shift perspectives for other people. Horses can't do that and humans can't do that for horses. So we've got to find different ways to create this universal language while we're out there working as a team. So if you're somebody that is in a particular role of leadership, say, and you're used to influencing people verbally by having a conversation or demanding something that you require, Horses have this innate ability to obsess, uh, to obsess, to assess intentions and the vibe of the people that are in attendance there. They don't actually know where they stand in the relationship until you show them where, where they stand in that relationship. So they're not worried about your, your title or your status or your role in that moment. They're worried about who you are and how you're showing up for everybody else. So it kind of strips away all of the external factors. Uh, and people kind of have to go internal and realise, well, it's not just about me here. We're here as a team. So to develop the teamwork, it, it kind of requires a bit of vulnerability as well because mm. that's the horses as well. It's a new relationship for them. You can't just force a 500-kilo horse to do things. I also think it's so interesting that most or you your offering is for people who don't have experience with horses, which is such a... 
I don't know. I, I just think it's quite um, a, a full-on thing for somebody who has no experience with horses, which are an intimidating animal in that they are half a ton and large and a, a big presence. So how, yeah, and sensitive, and they're a flight animal. So it's um, you're going to get a lot of feedback very quickly. What has some of the feedback been for you from some of the participants, and and what are the changes that you've seen? For me, uh, if I'm looking at an adult group, for instance, the the most powerful takeaway that I've found is the people that didn't realise that they had leadership qualities or had a voice of value. And I can see how that can relate in the workplace as well. You know, like the squeaky wheel gets heard. Um, There's a lot of people that just will silently sit back in their imposter syndrome or just a lack of confidence in certain things. But what they bring is another unique strength to that. And typically when people are sitting back and not using that voice consistently, they're observing and they're seeing things that necessarily the people that are barking aren't Mm. going to see. Mm. So to see some of the, if we use National Job Link as an example, to see some of the women so empowered through that process to realise that they do have a voice and that they do matter and what they have is of value, that's enough for them to then go back into the workplace. We had one lady attending that group, Emily, and she went four sessions without touching the horse. She was petrified. And that's part of the process. You can't force somebody to do something. Uh, But what she was doing in the back end was she had all this feedback that the others weren't observing. There was one really strong candidate in there that just assumed that somebody needed to make a decision so she just got in there to get done and she realized by this girl that was sitting back and observing she's like I realize that I'm not giving others a voice I'm realizing that that's just because somebody needs to get in there and get something done isn't necessarily the right right way to get something done and the horse she thought would uh, appreciate somebody being of that level but the Mm. vibration of that person uh, and the energy was far too much Mm. so she needed to find a way to tone herself back down and so to see, to be able to practice and play in those different, it's transformational. But the best part with it is that you're not just hearing somebody tell you how to change something, you actually physically get to change something. So we get to do the hands-on part of it, the practicalities of it. When they go back into their workplace or into their daily life, they can innately feel a scenario or a situation happen again and go, oh, there's my moment with that horse, Charlie. Here I am being this again. Mm. If I learn to tone myself down, how can I change this outcome for other people and myself here? Mm. So you can see how the parallels will start to come in through that. And being experiential, it's all different for each different person that enters the arena, which is great. Yeah, it's that old adage of you can't be what you can't see and perhaps you can't be what you haven't experienced. And so to have that opportunity to role play in a way with the horses, you can then um, transfer those skills into uh, other facets of your life. So for um, you now, uh, like how does your offering work and, and can anybody get in touch or do you just offer particular packages? What does that look like? Well, ideally, I was so focused on I just need teams. (laughs) I want teams. But as I've progressed, I've realised that there is value uh, in individuals attending themselves as well to just really work on themselves. So I am open to that now. I've integrated 
I have an accommodation stay here, which is something that I hadn't considered before. But with Tasmania being a place-based experience, I would like to open this up so that we can have uh, entrepreneurs or team leaders or business professionals come and have a real exclusive experience on their own. So their own mini retreat with the horses, spend a weekend. Um, and I feel like that is going to be super powerful. And I have my first attending in a couple of weeks, which is really Ooh. exciting. So it's kind of, you know, same thing when you think something and all of a sudden the stars align, once you've kind of put it all together, it just moves forward. So, yeah, that sure beats the average corporate corporate retreat. It does. And I'd love to see some of our local businesses capitalising. Um, a few of the conversations have been, I'm not sure what horses can teach me. And to me, that right there is a perfect reason why you should be coming in um, and it's so hard to explain an experiential process to somebody that hasn't experienced it to start with so my wings are so new Emily like with October we've been what is that now seven eight months of just hitting the ground running I I feel like leading rain has so many opportunities that are yet to present and I'm really excited by that I'm not bound or tied to anything in particular but as long as I'm focusing on myself and the skills that I bring to this, as well as the horses, to blend the two of them together, it's a, a huge point of difference. It's also a massive need. And you have spoken before about some of the stats surrounding workplace um, mental health. Uh, what are some of those statistics that you came across in, in your study? So even now, um, just recently uh, looking through and, and realising, talking about burnout, one in three Aussies are, are in a state of burnout. Like that's that's humongous. Not to mention off the bat of COVID. Um, as I said, it's not therapy, but it, it is definitely down the line of mental wellbeing. And for me, I believe this here and what I'm offering is not a band-aid. So it's proactive measures to help us before we're in that state of trauma or in that state of burnout, giving us those tools um, that we probably didn't necessarily realise that we needed. I'm one of those people. I didn't know that PTSD was a thing for people that have accidents or I didn't realise that burnout, sitting in your office alone, until you actually start to reach out and identify, you don't realise that you kind of need these things in order to grow forward. Mm. And I do think there has been a massive cultural shift in understanding that measurable outcomes and KPIs can also be interwoven in um, kind of well-being um, statistics and and how your team is thriving. Absolutely. It was it was something that I felt really uncomfortable around having conversations in the earlier days and because I didn't want to feel like I was somebody that impacted or affected the bottom line or could have conversations around KPIs. But at the end of the day, if you haven't got a congruent team or an aligned team who are all in sync together or understood or feel like they're actually working cohesively, that impacts your bottom line you can throw as much money as you want to getting new staff members but if you're not changing what you're not changing nothing changes yeah totally and even down to staff retention that comes down to workplace culture and that does not happen in a vacuum those are often learned skills absolutely yeah and again earlier I would have said that uh, I have no no place playing in workplace culture this is totally workplace culture Mm. this is the cultivating seed planting new way of being. 
So awesome. So for you going through the AgriFutures process and winning the Tasmanian Rural Women's Award, what was that like? It was such a shock. Like I am so green as the grass that I grow. (laughs) It's, I just, yeah, I was, I never expected to be lined up alongside some such amazing women um, and kind of sharing partial of my story I just thought that I was a standard grassroots lady that uh, had been farming. But now what I realise is that there's value in that. There is huge value in being somebody off the land and having that experience in um, in in the business and my own personal issues along the way. It keeps it very real. Um, and I am understanding now that that authenticity is something that would help empower people more so than any stats or any numbers or any KPI lines. The We've just come off the bat of cans, as we briefly spoke about before, and that to me was a week of, it was a week with like-minded women uh, in a space, not to mention the whole AgriFutures cohort that was there, it was quite um, emotional for me because I literally am finally stepping away from my own table and getting to sit at the table of others. Yeah. And, and that taking your itself, seat, taking your seat at the table. Mm. Yeah, not realising that I actually had a place of value there. Mm. So for me to come uh, together with all of these other amazing women and the other cohorts and to see this Horizon Scholars even and conversations with them and industry investors it was just uh, a process that uh, yeah I felt like I'd kind of realized and awoken to myself that yeah there's more than just the farms in me. Mm, I'm so excited for you uh, and for context for our listeners um, the all of the state and territory finalists met in Cairns for a week of for self-development and pitch perfection and um, I suppose just really nutting out from a business perspective as well as a personal perspective what your offering is and you know I was speaking to Emma Gibbons last week who said it was just such an extraordinary experience being with these women and that it didn't matter who won because you just all celebrate each other so much. Yeah, it literally felt like we had found our tribe together and the conversations that we held, it was just so deep and rich and it doesn't matter. Like for us, we felt like we'd already won the state title. That was it for us. But to be able to come together collectively of state winners, there was a lot of power in the presence of all of those women together. Mm. Oh, literal goosebumps. So cool. And so for you, how did you spend your $15,000 Westpac grant or how will you on leading reign after winning the Tasmanian Rural Women's Award? So I've gone into trying to get the word out there. Em. So I've built a website. Uh, I've employed the services of a business coach to get to next stage as well. So we're implementing the groundwork. I have invested in further coaching training, which I found interesting that you were talking before about the coaching and consulting side of things. So for me, I can then offer a more professional addition for people outside of the arena because I just don't want to get stuck to Millibena. I just don't want to get stuck to the arena. Even though the horses are the value, finding ways that we can can provide bigger offerings as well 
So that, uh, that's where my money's been invested. And I'm looking, like I said, at ways to integrate to be able to take this to broader regional Australia is by providing these offerings of these retreats with my accommodation stay intimate mm. group gatherings. Mm, so fabulous. And so do you have a bit of a, um, a five-year plan or a vision of what the future for Leading Rain looks like? Uh, I feel I feel like right now it's more about Melissa than it is leading rain. So I feel like I've got some things that I need to address and I've got some unfinished business and I feel like once I've lifted myself up and my profile, then that will connect through to leading rain as well. So I see I see myself sharing my story and the leading rain and the horses um, to other regional parts of Australia too. And for you, you know, it, this this has been such a dramatic shift over the last seven years personally. How has this affected or, um, I guess, fed into your family dynamic and uh, from because you were such a big part of the business and obviously still are, but how has that changed there? It would be challenging a little bit, but my husband, he had already shifted out of the business in the role that we both had anyway. So he's operations manager of our company structure now, whereas I was still on the home farm. I guess that's where I probably felt left behind because we originally went in as partners doing partnership together. And so it was it's not about pity, but it was just about seeing the pivots and the shifts that were happening through the business as we continued to grow. But for me now, my whole goal was to find that breathing space so that I could move forward in myself to have the space and the breathing space to be the role model mother that I feel like I potentially wasn't able to be through that period of um, raising kids through growing a business at this rate and state we did. Back to that role model. I want my girls to to realise, well, gosh, if mum can do this, anyone can do this. Um, but really to open their eyes that there's there's a lot more to life than Millibina. <laughs> uh, there's a, a big purpose out there to be had. Just go and find it. Mm, so awesome. Well, I've just loved chatting with you, Melissa. It's been really inspiring and um, I can't wait to see where you go next. So thank you so much for your time and generosity this morning. Thank you. How's your herd? This question posed by Melissa is such an interesting way to ponder workplace culture. As she says, without people, there is no team. And herds are to horses what teams are to people. We can learn so much from the natural world, and it's fascinating to think of the takeaways applicable to the corporate environment when stepping into an arena and learning to communicate non-verbally with a horse. You can learn more about Melissa's organisation, Leading Rain, by jumping onto her website, leadingrain.com.au. Maybe this will spark an idea for your next business retreat. This is the last interview of our special series, delving into the lives and passions of the 2023 AgriFutures Rural Women's Award. It has been such a joy to talk to each state and territory finalist. Inspiring is an overused word, but... I have come away from each call truly buoyed by the future of Australian agriculture and the leading role of women in the many diverse facets of the industry. Thank you so much for being here for the ride. If you're looking for more enthralling stories to immerse yourself in, check out the latest issue of Grazy Her magazine in all leading news agents or jump online to subscribe.
or order yourself a copy. It makes mail day all the more thrilling. Until next time, keep well. My name is M Herbert and this is a Grazy Her podcast. Mm-hmm.